Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Today, we have a special treat for you. Brian interviewed acclaimed author and speaker Andy Andrews on stage at a recent event. And in the episode, Brian and Andy will cover how living counterculturally can be the key to your success. You'll also hear Brian mention Andy's new book, and it's out today. The book is called The Bottom of the Pool, Thinking Beyond Your Boundaries to Achieve Extraordinary Results. You can pick it up anywhere great books are sold. In the meantime, let's listen in. The last couple of days, some folks in here have been sharing some big-time stuff and some big-time stories and where they've been and so on and so forth. And you kind of mentioned just a fraction of your story, and I just think it would be great if we just took a minute, because there might be actually some people here or some folks who are going to be listening who don't know kind of where Andy Andrews came from. They've said Traveler's Gift, and this guy's been on all the morning shows and this and that, and there's millions of books sold. But maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Do you guys know where Andy's story started? So when he's 19 years of age, and there's more before that, obviously, but when he's 19 years of age, his mom is 41 and she dies of cancer. Just a couple months later, his dad, who's 44, is killed in a car wreck. He is 19. He is by himself. And the next thing, you know, there used to be a, a character on Saturday Night Live said, living in a van down by the river. Right. I didn't have the van. He didn't have the van. <laughs> and he was living under a bridge, homeless, as a kid for over a year. And, you know, that's one of the amazing things of redemption and how a life can be redeemed. It's one of the reasons I love living in North America because stories like this can happen where a guy who's living under a bridge can become a huge influencer. Just touch on a little bit about where it all started for you and how it was to dig your way out of that deal. When mom and daddy died, I, uh, I've always had the ability to take a bad situation and make it worse. And, and I did. I made some bad moves and ended up literally, it was homeless before that was a word. You know, nobody right. was talking about homeless people. That wasn't a term anybody used, but it was under a pier, a pier on the Gulf. And, and I was dug in under the sand there and I was working. I was cleaning fish for people. I was uh, selling fish. I was washing boats and doing all that kind of stuff, taking people fishing I would find people that had tags from Nashville or Indianapolis, and they'd have a boat. And I'd say, oh, you're down on vacation. they say, yeah. I said, do you know where to fish? they go, no, we really don't. I said, what a coincidence. You have a boat, and you don't know where to fish. I know where to fish, and I don't have a boat. And I'll take you for 100 bucks. And so I I did that a lot. You know, it was a crazy time. I, I really lived daylight to daylight because when the sun would go down, I would kind of work or fish until I was exhausted so that I didn't have to think a lot. And Mm. I met this old man late one night under my pier, scared me to death. Never knew where this guy was from. If you read the book, The Noticer, Mm. the very first chapter of The Noticer is absolutely true, just like that happened. Mm. But this old man told me the truth about myself. He was the first person, you being maybe, maybe the second or third, I guess, that actually cared enough to tell me things about myself that, you know, in other circumstances might make you angry. And I have that effect on a lot of people. Well, just so I, you know. but, but, you know, it's not many people that will tell us the truth about ourselves and will give us some context. And so that's what he did. He was the first guy to ever start me reading. I had always been a Sports Illustrated field and stream kind of person. Mm-hmm. 
And he started to be reading books, biographies. I remember you giving me three biographies, Winston Churchill, George Washington Carver, and Will Rogers. And I, mm. and I remember saying, biographies? And he said, no, no, these are adventure stories, mysteries and romances and thrillers, and they're true. And I got kind of hooked on them. You know, I remember reading the Churchill one, and not, I didn't really want to read it. I wasn't really intending to read it. I just... He was the only person paying attention to me. I knew he would say, what are you doing with the books? I want to say, oh, I'm reading Churchill. But I remember reading the first of that and the thing saying, and he met this little girl named Clementine. And he didn't know it at the time, but she was to become the first lady of the British Empire. And I remember thinking, well, there's the romance, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, every chapter would end with, and if he had only known what was in the next room, mm. Winston would have never gone through the door. <laughs> and, I, and so there's the mystery and World War II, the thriller. So I got hooked on these books. Yeah. I read over 200 biographies of these influential, great people, which when I say that, it makes me think, do they do books of any other kind of people? It's like not a loser section on Amazon. <laughs> so, um, but I would read these books and I'd try to think, what is it about these people? How did they turn out like this? Mm. Is it something they did? Or were they born this way? Because if they were born this way, I knew I was out of luck. Yeah. But if they did something, what did they do? And how long did it take them to do it? Mm. And I identified seven things. There were seven decisions. Mm. It wasn't characteristics or habits. Were, these were principles that these people mm. had in their lives that were embedded in their lives. But it was curious. It seemed like everybody only knew they had two or three. Now, with passage of time, we could see all seven. Mm. But I remember thinking, what happens to a life that knows all seven? Yeah. What happens to a kid whose parents know all seven and can actually teach all these seven? And so these are the seven principles that ended up being the basis for the traveler's gift. Now, let me bring some pieces together for you so that you understand all these unassociated pieces of content are all part of this alignment and they're all part of the impact for you and what you need to do. We've been focusing on your patterns. How many of you wrote down a few patterns? Could I see your hands? How many of you have some patterns that need some enhancements? How many of you remember us talking about some decisions? And how many of you have some decisions ahead of you? Could I see your hands? How many of you had decisions you'd forgotten to write down that are starting to come to your mind now? Yeah, that's going to continue to happen. Here's what's important. Now listen. These books, that man, that influence at the lowest part of your life became embedded. These principles became principles for you that ultimately you embodied to transform your whole life and build this successful life that has been communicated to millions of people, not only two books, but hundreds of thousands on stage and presentations. The seven principles were so important. That is why someone will go to 51 publishers and be rejected. You see, you won't do that with everything, but you will do that with the stuff that really matters. And that's why the key to success is working on the stuff that really matters to you and not getting bent out of shape on the little things that don't. Focus on the little things that really matter, not the little things that don't. There's probably other things you can probably tell. Hey, I didn't persist on this. I gave up on that. But when it came to the traveler's gift, you persisted until you succeed. We are both disciples of Ogmandino. Right. Absolutely. And you persisted until you succeed because he had a picture in his mind. This is what I know to be true. These seven decisions and this becomes a book. And when that book comes out, of course, it's hugely successful because it's not just true. It's the truth. Does that all bring some things together for you there and how this can apply? Talk about 
The seven decisions for a second. The seven decisions, it, it took me a while to realize that there were principles, that they always worked. It took me a while to realize that these weren't just circumstantial opportunities to shift and change, that they always worked. And so when you've got something in your hands that always works, then you figure out different ways to apply it. Mm -hmm. And so that was where the thought process came about. You know, gravity worked long before the apple ever fell on Newton's head. Right. And then once he understood it and could explain it, then people were able to use it. But it wasn't until people figured out the different properties and all the different things it meant before people built airplanes and suspension bridges. There was a lot of things that gravity covered. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing with these seven decisions, these seven principles. You know, I used to hate it when I would go on to a talk show and you have three minutes and they say, well, tell us what the seven principles are. And I would say, I mean, because if you just hear them, you go, yeah, okay, well, I've heard that. Right. You know, because if you hear responsibility, you go, yeah, okay, I hear that every day. That's not new. And yet, these seven principles, they all, once you dig into them, they all have a meaning and a bearing that is life altering. Mm. In responsibility, that's the very first one, mm. because without that one, you have no platform to begin any others. Until you take responsibility for where you are, you have no basis for continuing, mm. right? But responsibility, to just give you an idea of how different this is than most people think, most people think of responsibility in two extremes. One is, until these people have responsibility, they can't possibly, and then the other extreme is, but their parents were, and if you had parents like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's two different extremes. But responsibility, in reality, if people understood it and were able to harness it, our society we would be recession-proof. Our relationships would work uh -huh. because responsibility doesn't have anything to do with blaming people or making people feel bad. It is about hope and control. Uh -huh. And who among us doesn't want to have hope for a greater future uh -huh. that we control? Uh -huh. But if you blame somebody else, there's not a lot of hope there. If you blame the president, if you've ended up in this horrible place and it's the president's fault, what are you going to do about the president today, whoever the president is? What are you going to do? What am I going to do about my wife? If it's my wife's fault, what are we going to do about her? Mm -hmm. Okay. But if I can look in the mirror <laughs> and I can say, I've had some crazy things happen in my life. I've had some tragedies happen. And I couldn't control any of them. But I have made choices because of my thinking. I've made choices that led me down a path to a place I don't like. If we can understand and believe that, that's great news. Because if you can understand that your thinking can yield choices, it'll lead you to a place you don't like. Doesn't it just make logical sense your thinking could yield choices that would lead you down a path to a place you do like? And so the game becomes change your thinking, change your choices, change that. And that's what the other six are about, about how you change it. Powerful stuff. And I've used it many times. And the reason you know you're onto something true is the more you read it, the deeper it is, and the more truth there is. And it's like a great movie. How many of you have read a book several times and went, man, I never saw that before? And one of the reasons is because you're in a different place. You're a different person. You know, yeah. you're in a different place and you come back to it and it's like, boom, here we go. Powerful stuff. As we look through this, you have a new book coming out. And I want to take the time to talk about it. It's called The Bottom of the Pool. 
<laughs> How many of you like the idea of learning more about that? What was the kid's name that was the... Kevin the, Perkins. Kevin Perkins, the Dolphin King. Yep. Great. And he went down instead of going up. And so I heard this last week. And all of a sudden, I'm writing in my journal and all these thoughts and all these conversations, all these companies, all these things I've seen where people kind of did something very different, provided value in a different way. And it also combines with this fabulous phrase, compete in a way that the competition doesn't know there's a game going on. Did you guys hear that? The bottom of the pool is the essence of that. Right, right. And that's why, like, you know, you think about it, Nick Saban comes to Andy Andrews and in helping him think from a different spot, all of a sudden, Alabama's looking at things that no one's even thinking about. Right. We were talking about it last week, but you, you brought up how they started going, hey, one of the things that's really influential in a football game is the referees. Sure. Because if you can call holding on any play you want to call it on, if you can look into that mass of humanity and you just say somebody was holding or somebody was not holding, there is a shift, a huge advantage in the game. And I'm not saying that anybody would knowingly move one way or another, but you and I are human beings and these officials are human beings. And if two kids came up to you at the same time and one kid said, give me some candy now. And the other one said, do you have any candy that I might have? Do you mind? I mean, who are you even going to talk to? Because we tend toward people we like. We tend toward people we admire. We tend away from people who offend us. We tend away. And so when you look at these officials and who they are, the average age, you know, 54, 55, and they're overwhelmingly white collar, overwhelmingly involved in youth leagues at, at home, overwhelmingly still have a teenager at home, overwhelmingly married. You, you just look at who they are and you can see what do they like, what do they not like. And so when you start crafting a group of people who become known for a certain thing and you never see this other thing in there, by the time LSU and Alabama hits the field three years from now, and they've watched LSU, you know, the honey badger got a, a failed a, a synthetic drug test. He and two buddies, and they got one half of a game suspension, and then right back in the game, the same week that 67 Navy personnel failed that drug test on the Kitty Hawk, and they were all dishonorably discharged. You know, there was a quarterback on LSU's team that started in that national championship game that during that year had gotten into a fight after breaking curfew, and he got in a fight with a Marine, got him on the floor, and kicked the Marine in the head. Okay, so this is all over the news. And so you can't put a crew of people that are a certain way out on the field and not have them have noticed that for the past three years, every time they saw Alabama's players, a picture of them, they were in a jacket and tie and smiling at the camera. You know, they didn't look intimidating. They looked friendly. They looked nice. And they talked to them on the field with respect. And when they did a first down, they didn't do that. You know, they would just hand the ball to the referee. And so you can't say he didn't notice, well, there's the honey badger. Right. And so all of a sudden, here's the thing. It's a snap decision. Referees are paid to be impartial, and they are, but they're human beings. 
They're listening to talk radio. That was one of the other things they found in the state. Referees listen to talk radio all the time because why? Coaches go on there blasting the referees. So Nick Saban and his staff, we don't talk about the referees. Players, you never talk about the referees. You show respect. Whatever the referee's decision is, final. You never talk back to them. You do this whole thing. And here's what he's after. There's a 50-50 call, and it's an instantaneous call. And over the course of a season, there might be two or three calls influenced by all this behavior. But when you're fighting for a national championship every year, this is what's going on. LSU's trying to fight for a national championship. They're going after the same players Alabama's going after and whatever else. But they always seem to come up one or two games short, and Alabama always seems to come up one game on the right. Fascinating stuff. I started thinking about this principle in the real estate business. Real Trends is an organization that does appraisals of brokerages business and gets paid to do appraisals and then help brokerages sell their businesses. That's what they've done for a long time. But Real Trends is around since I was selling real estate, and what they've always been is a major provider of real estate trusted information. Is that true? So they're like the first news agency for real estate long before anybody was thinking about it. And they provided this fantastic information. What's going on in the market? I still use them today. And they have fantastic information and so on and so forth. And because they're trusted with that information, then the broker calls them up. And so when they say, here's what your brokerage is worth, they trust them to do that. And then they say, okay, someone wants to buy us. They trust them to kind of be the broker in the deal to help sell their company. Are you guys with me? Real Trends is playing a game that the competition didn't need was going on. There's tons of companies that used to sell brokerages and used to do valuations for brokerage. These guys took off because they were providing an item of value in the form of trusted information. The competition didn't even know what was going on. And if you go to the bottom of the pool on that, where did mm. that come from for them? Yeah. It came from their thinking, looking at what everybody else is doing, what was not there. And it's just like Coach Saban. I didn't spend a ton of time with him. It's just a thinking thing that he has been able to take that little edge and then multiply it down through there. You know, because in that game, two minutes to go, Alabama had a false start. And it showed Nick on the sidelines, and he was, like, coming unglued like he does, you know. And I was in a room full of people that were like, come on, Nick, come on. You've got the game won. It was 21 to nothing, two minutes to go. But they didn't understand that he was not upset at a false start. He was upset because it was the first game they were ever going to have that they had gone through the entire game without a single penalty, mm. a national championship game. Mm. And so you see ordinary people compare themselves to everybody else's results. Extraordinary achievers compare themselves with their potential, mm. and that continues to increase. Mm. Bottom of the pool thinking. It's pretty awesome stuff. You're designed to do something. Right. Think differently about it. Think differently than what people tell you this. Here's the thing. I was told I was not a creative person when I was a young person by a teacher in the school. And it was because I didn't have good handwriting. It could be a dysgraphic thing. But you were told you're not creative, so was Walt Disney. Sure. Here's the thing. My entire world is creativity. Yeah. That's what you've done. It's all I do, right? Every hour of the day. And so it's interesting. So I thought I had to be very pragmatic in this and that and dynamic, and I was going to become an accountant. And so I went to school. Now, where I come from... You know, it was, this is what your grades are, that's what you're going to study. Socialism, free market, you know, America. You would have never made it. You didn't have the personality. Could you imagine me being be an accountant, accountant for didn't the love of Didn't have the personality. Mary. Oh, my God. I mean, I might be an accountant who goes, okay, let's take on the IRS. Yeah. You know, I would have had to, 
Okay, great. You haven't paid taxes in 17 years. You're my perfect client. Okay, great. And that's why I work with a lot of realtors because um, (laughs) April 15th is extension day, if you know what I'm saying. But, you know, you get put into these pigeonholes. And here's the thing. They become our own Shawshank prison. Somebody says something to you and it becomes a Shawshank prison. And then we start to live in it. You lived in it for years and years and years by some kid you can't even probably remember his name. And we take these things and, and we live in those prisons. Bottom of the pool thinking is, A, I got gifts that are unique to me. I got to think about them differently and think about differently than the labels I've been given. And maybe everyone else is going up. And in our heart of hearts, when we see people we go, okay, something in that doesn't look right to me. This guy's going up in the water and something in that doesn't look. But we don't trust that voice, intuition, that giftedness. There's a spiritual component to that. There's a personal component to that. And keep asking those why questions. And maybe it's a bottom of the pool conversation to look at it totally different. Look at your problems and your choices totally different than you're looking at them right now. Now, we want it instantly. And sometimes it can be. The choice can be in an instant after an awful lot of thinking. Right. Change can be very quick after an awful lot of process. Does that make sense? And so there's ways to look at it. And that's why I love the context of this new book. I think it's going to be very successful. And I think... The other thing about the bottom of the pool is you get to spring off it. That's right. You get to spring off it. That foundation that you can push from. Andy mentioned something that I'm going to bang the drum on, that I've been banging the drum on for 23 years. The bottom of the pool are your fundamentals. The bottom of the pool are your fundamentals. And everybody comes to me all the time, what's the next thing, what's the next thing? And we have more next things than you can even imagine. Sure. And I have people who are five months or six months in coaching, and they go, is this all you have? And the coach is not honest enough to tell the truth. No, this is all we have for you. (laughs) Because we have a lot of stuff we do with other people, but they've earned the right to get there because they're in a position to hear it and do something with it because their foundations are in such place. And it's very, very powerful. The foundations are key. I'm going to give you a quote that you gave last week, and it'll be very, very powerful to this group. You said, advertising is the price you pay for not being extraordinary. Yeah. And... That resonates with folks. And as people are starting to deal, especially in the real estate market, real estate's becoming commoditized. Our clients are starting to feel commoditized. The brokerage business has become commoditized. Just talk a little bit about that for a second, just as far as being extraordinary. Yeah, well, you think in terms of that customer satisfaction bar, you know, that's the lowest bar you can hit and still stay in business. But above that, see, everybody else is looking for satisfied customers. But a satisfied customer is this. Hey, how was your experience there? Good. So everything, everything worked well? Yeah. There it is. All that means is they'll put you in the plus list and kind of keep looking. But there's no crazy, you know, what you're after is incredible fans of what you are. Because, you know, when you're competing with the fundamentals, you can't really buff up the fundamentals that much. Mm. Okay? It's you. It's who you are. You are competing with people who are competing with price and product. And yet, how many of you in here have paid more for something than you had to? Sure. Okay. How many of you have gone to more trouble to get something than you had to? All right. All of us, on the surface, that sounds, on the surface of the pool, that sounds incredibly stupid. No, I can get it for less, but I really would like to pay more. Really? Okay, but but when you understand 
when you understand why we all did it and why we're all going to do it again, you understand it had nothing to do with price and product anyway. It was the person. Yeah, I know Walmart's right across the street, but I will always go to that lady's shop. Did I tell you what she did for my grandmother 14 years ago? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always, you know, our boys are 16 and 19, and yet there is a, a store in Pensacola, Florida, and the name of it is Duh. D-U-H, okay? <laughs> and it's an interiors store. Well, when the hurricane hit us 14 years ago, and we had to totally rebuild the house. I mean, we were down to the studs, and it took two years to get back in the house because, you know, you're competing with 10,000 other people who are destroyed for 150 contractors, which 50% of them are crooks. And so it happens you, with fires yeah, in California. Yeah. Yeah. And so the boys were little. And Polly spent a lot of time at Duh. In fact, to this day, we call it what Adam called it when he was like four, yucky old Duh. Yeah, we got to go back to yucky old Duh. Because, you know, they would have to go where mom went, and she would have to spend, you know, an hour or so talking to these people, getting the furnishings and all like that. But those ladies would take the boys and they had a goldfish pond in the back, and they would get Gatorades and Coca-Colas, and they would get baseballs, and but they would go play with our boys. And to this day, our boys talk about duh, you know, because you hear people coming in to our area, and you know, we're looking at where do we go, and our boys will go, well, tell them about duh, don't forget duh. Duh, what's duh? But they're still talking about it because they were treated in, in this way. Mm-hmm. And so there are three things with word of mouth. One is bad word of mouth. One is just kind of customer satisfied, mm-hmm. which is no word of mouth, just kind of nothing. And the other is that fantastic word of mouth. And traditionally advertising, if you have horrible word of mouth, you can't throw enough money at it mm-hmm. to overcome it. Mm-hmm. You can't traditionally advertise to overcome bad word of mouth. But if you have incredible word of mouth, traditional advertising is just a tax you pay for not being incredible enough. Mm-hmm. Because if you are incredible enough and people are going, hey, listen, I just overheard your conversation. I don't mean to intrude or anything, but I know you're getting the interior stuff and all. And there's a place over in Pensacola, and it's called Duh. I know it's kind of crazy sounding name, but it's called Duh. And these guys, it's just unbelievable what they have. In fact, if you go there, Michael is the guy who will be there. Tell him, my name's Andy, tell him that. In, in fact, let me get my cell phone. I'll call him right now for mm-hmm. you. I'll call him. You can't advertise against that. Nobody can advertise against that. Right. And if you don't do that, traditional advertising is just a tax you pay for not being remarkable. Yeah, that's right up our alley. Would you guys agree? Working by referral. Right. It's a beautiful thing. The National Association of Realtors is having this mid-year conference while we're here. And they just came out with a study that said 28% of consumers last year that said they were totally satisfied with their real estate experience and their real estate agent could not remember their name. Sure. Of could course. Could not remember their name. Totally satisfied. Could not remember their name. 
Of course. And that's why you have to spend a bunch of dough. And that's why you have to spend a bunch of advertising. And that's why, you know, for us, we've been bottom of the pool thinking for a long time on real estate. And if you look at that Coca-Cola and that little plastic baseball and that little plastic thing and that lady's time right there, you know, other interiors places would say, that's not the business. We don't keep Coca-Colas. We don't keep plastic balls and bats. Listen, we have an interiors friend that has incredible stuff. And you know what she does? She has... A magician, a close-up magician in her shop. Now you think, that's not even what... But she's on the beach, and she knows she can sell hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stuff if the spouse has time. But if the husband's standing in the door going, I don't know where you're going to be here. But when they come in, the close-up magician... To take the husband over to a corner yep. and do some card tricks and, you know, here's yep. a Coca-Cola and there's a nice leather chair and here, let me do that again. Let me teach there. you how to do that. There's 20 minutes. There's another 5,000. right? There, That's yeah. about the extent exactly. of our abilities. I may have never shared this before, but at Buffini Real Estate, my primary assistant, Diane Garrisey, we had her get her child care certification because I didn't want to work weekends. Most people want to look at homes during the weekend. But I found a lot of my clientele were this move-up couple. I'd help them buy their first home. They had babies, and now they needed a bigger home. And so we turned one of our rooms in our business, in our building right here in La Mesa, we turned it into a daycare room. And we had a crib for sleeping. We had games and toys and story time and the whole thing. And it was a play area, a creche, as we call them in Ireland. And so what would happen is Monday through Friday, I'd call up mom and say, hey, let's take a look through during the week. Most people are going out this weekend. You've got to jump on the market. And here's the thing. Here's Diane. She's a certified daycare person. And so come by. She drop off the couple kids. Me and mom go looking at houses for three hours. Mom gets three hours without the kids, by the way. I had women looking at houses with me that I don't think were in the market sometimes. <laughs> and that was okay. That was we, okay. We got to the point where we'd have this. Now listen to this. This is my real estate business. I would have people call up and say, Brian, I'm in a pinch. This fell out and this fell out. Could I drop my kid with you for an hour? Absolutely. All day and a bag of chips. Absolutely, because the best way to compete for business is if they know who they're going to use before the business ever comes. You can compete for business before people are even born. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a car dealer in our area that has really, he has done so much in my life and in our lives. And as the boys grew up, right, we went to this camp one time and Austin at this camp and this car dealer, Joe, is a member of this camp and we're members. And so Austin was like 12 years old. He stopped before we walked in. He's looking at all the cars and he says, Dad, don't you think this makes Uncle Joe very sad? I said, what? He said, all these cars, look at the names on the back. They're not all Uncle Joe's cars. And I said, well, buddy, Uncle Joe, he understands that there's different people buy different cars. He said, uh-uh. These guys are members of this camp. They're members of the same club, and they should have bought cars from Uncle Joe. I knew then, at 12 years old, that Joe had a customer. He already had a customer that wasn't deciding on kind of car. He already knew where he was going to get it. And sure enough, the day Austin turned 16, he walked into a Joe Bullard automotive dealership and wrote a check for a car. We could go on for days. I promised you I was going to get you home to your family. (laughs) I want to say a couple things. Okay. You're an extraordinary human being. 
an extraordinary man. You got gifts that you've gotten in touch with that God's given you. And you dug them out of the dirt all by yourself. And the journey that God had for you was as 19, no mom, no dad, living under a pier. And you made the best of it. And you did what many of us do. You became a student. God sent you someone to mentor you and give you some guidance and call you out. And and you got in the game. And along this journey, you've poured your heart into some of these things that have gotten into print and have transformed people's lives. And most of them you'll never even get to meet. You've received thousands of letters and this and that and the other. And uh, I'm just very, very excited for you for the next stage of this journey. I'm super excited for this new book. And I'm super excited for some of the projects we've been talking about that you're working on. I think your best days are yet to come. I'm so proud and just delighted that you decided to spend just a little time with us here and dispense a little wisdom to us. You're a wise man. You're full of wisdom. You're full of heart. And we love you. And we just want to thank you for popping by and spending some time with us here. Good stuff. Give it up for Mr. Andy Andrews, boys and girls. Come on. Thank you. Wow, loved that content and powerful stuff from Andy. One thing he said that really struck me, compete in a way that the competition doesn't know there's a game going on. There's great wisdom in that. And if you like listening to this live event format of the show, I'd encourage you to check out Brian in person at Buffini & Company's Mastermind Summit, August 4th to the 6th in San Diego. You can find more information at buffiniandcompany.com slash mm. With that, I'll close the show, as always, with an Irish blessing from Brian's mum, Therese. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. 